message, a sermon from the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church in Ephesus here on the island of Miletus, or excuse me, not the island, but uh, a city called Miletus right on the coast of, of Asia there, not far from Ephesus. And um, in this passage, we, we see uh, Paul dealing with things that are very, very, very important for us. But what I want to do is read from verses 17 to 21. Those four verses we're going to be looking at, those five verses we're going to be looking at, uh, but we're going to take two parts in this, part one today and part two next week. And we're going to be taking our time going through this, this, uh, this sermon of the Apostle Paul. A lot of important stuff for us. But let's begin by reading verses 17 to 21. Then we'll get into the teaching. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we look at this passage today, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon this place, upon me as I deliver your word today. I pray, God, that we would see you. Lord Jesus, that we would see you through these words. Lord, that we would have a desire that you would be seen in us as we are your living epistles known and read by all men. God, have your way with us. Be with us, pour out your spirit upon us, fill us, and might he give us understanding, might he open the eyes of our hearts, might he give us wisdom as well as discerning hearts to be able to apply these truths to our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You guys may be seated. This passage here, as we begin to look at this uh, uh, sermon of the Apostle Paul to these elders uh, of the church in Ephesus, uh, is the only time that Luke, in the book of Acts, records a sermon that Paul gives to the church. Uh, most of what we see in terms of sermons that he gives are to, are to Jews and, and, and to uh, Gentiles who are following after the God of the Jews, these God-fearers as they are described in the Word of God. Toward the end of the book of Acts, we see him uh, speaking, and, and it is recorded, those, uh, those times of sermon speaking, that he, he, he is speaking toward uh, uh, governing authorities, such as Felix the governor in Acts chapter 23. Uh, he gives that. But this is the only time that he is speaking to the church itself 
in the form of the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Of course, the last time we looked at Paul, he was in, in the city of Troas, uh, and then we saw him arrive in Miletus uh, in uh, those last verses uh, in that passage. And then in verse 17, we see these words. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. We had seen, of course, that in that 16th verse that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. He didn't want to have to spend, there, spend time there necessarily because he wanted to make sure he made it to Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So he gathers the elders of the church there in the city of, of Miletus, and here we see the, the record of what he has to say to them. And one thing for us to remember is that since this is a message specifically to the church, it is a message specifically, specifically to, to you and me, to us, as, as the church today. And, and so it, 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 it is worth noting that truth, and this passage, this, this sermon, uh, is something that we all can grasp and, and receive something from as we do grasp the truths in it. And so that, that's why I want to take my time through it. We're going we're to be taking a number of weeks through the rest of this chapter, too, just in these first five verses. And then we're going to just kind of creep our way through the end of this. Um, but most of what we're going to be spending our time with are uh, through the, the 24th verse, probably. But uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll be uh, creeping our way through this, as I said. But here in this verse, we see, or in this passage, in verse 18, we see that he actually begins the sermon this way. And what I want to do is I'm going to read through the portion that we're going to be looking at today. Basically, verse 18 and the first part of verse 19. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. That's what we're going to be covering today. So we're going to be looking at what Paul, has, what Paul refers to in the sense of his manner of living as he was with them. He says, you know, you know what uh, from, from the first day that I came to Asia, from the very beginning that I was there with you, in what manner I always lived among you. We see a consistency in Paul's life, in the way that he lived his life before the church in Ephesus, before these people in Ephesus. And not just simply the church, but those who were not yet a part of the church. It certainly is a part of what God used in drawing people to himself the life of the Apostle Paul and the way that he lived it. And, and I find it interesting that the first thing that he says to them, and by the way, let, let's remember, he knows that these are his final words to these men. Later on, he says, I'll never see you again. And so that adds some importance to this, doesn't it? I mean, he's giving his final words of exhortation in encouraging them to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to be faithful to the word of God, to be faithful in the way that they themselves lived their lives, even as he has been faithful to do the same before them. 
I think it's a great study through the scriptures is to catch a view of the final words of godly men to people that those men cared for. Whether it's this, these words here, um, King David to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2. Of course, the words of Jesus to his apostles in John chapters 13 through 16, the upper room discourse. Final words of encouragement, final words of truth that are very pertinent to us as Christians in the way that we live our lives, the things that we talk about, the things that we do, the places that we go, the things we believe, the way that we live. And so that, adds, that, that brings some added importance, I believe, to these words. But the first thing that he cites is, you, you watched me. You watched the way I lived my life. And we see in the, the, the tenor of all this is that the way that we live our lives is incredibly port, important in regard to the effectiveness of our ministry to other people as we speak the word of God to them. If we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, we need to live the gospel of Christ before people. Because if we don't, it just removes power from the words that are spoken. Now, there is an, in, an inherent power in the word of God we know. But I think one thing that is, that is helpful in, if we want to minister to, to, to people, and, and we all have people in our lives that we want to see come to Christ. That we want to see them get more serious with God. Those who may have come to Christ, but they're kind of, you know, living on the edge, kind of walking the fence, you know, the, be, between this world and, and the kingdom of God, right? You know, and we, we, want, we want to encourage them to, 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 to walk more faithfully with the Lord and so forth. If we're not doing it, why should they? And if we're not doing it, why should they believe what we're saying? Because we obviously do not believe it ourselves because we're not living it. If I share with you how to live your life and how to come to Christ and how to follow after him, and yet you don't see me doing that, what, what does that say to you? Right? So it is extremely, extremely important. These words, you know what manner of living I had when I was among you. You know the, the way that I live my life. He doesn't begin by giving them those things or by rehearsing those things. He will, he will be sharing those things in just a, in, in a little bit. But the, but the point is that he begins by, again, telling them, reminding them, you know I took it seriously. You know that God changed my life, and I lived according to that change that he made. See, these Ephesian elders, they, they understood. I mean, he doesn't have to go back to rehearsing what happened back in Acts chapter 9 when he got saved. What he was doing before that. And all that he, I mean, so, so many things that are involved in this. And this is one of the things I love about the book of Acts. You know, we, 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 we see that with the Apostle Paul, but we look at all the letters. We, we, we look at his letters to Timothy and, and Titus, the various churches, Ephesus itself. And, and it's it just a very, very rich study 
And, and this passage of scripture is incredibly rich as well. As we see Paul citing consistency, it was so from, the, from, from his first day there, and it always was that way. Always. Might that be the case for us? He saw himself as an example, and he encouraged his readers, not just simply these that he's speaking to, but his readers to follow. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, these are very familiar words. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Can we say that to others around us? I pray that we all aspire to do so, to be able to say it. I want to be able to say that. I pray that you do as well. I, I, I think you do. But this is something that's very important for us for the reasons that we're talking about. Philippians 4.9, Paul writing to the Philippian church, he wrote, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We will find the peace of God in our lives as we obey him. And it stands to reason that a failure to do those things brings an absence of that peace. We won't find that peace. Paul also commanded Timothy as a young pastor to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Be an example. Even though you're young and they may tend to look down upon you because they're older than you, they might be asking questions on what kind of wisdom do you have? What kind of experience do you have? How can you, I'm your elder, how can you teach me? You know, those kinds of things that we can do? Don't let them do that. Don't let them despise your youth, look down upon you because you're young, but bring a sense of respect through your manner of living. Right? Through our manner of living. And of course, Jesus himself was very obviously an example to follow, right? In John 13, 15, after he had washed the, the apostles' feet as they uh, sat down for, to, to share the Passover meal, he took that lower position. He, he took the position of washing their feet, which, is, which was an incredible gesture on his part. But he said this in verse 15 there in John 13, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He's not talking about washing feet there. Now, in churches, there have been foot washing ceremonies. We've never done that. We've never done that. And if we ever do, we're not going to advertise it. <laughs> we're not going to promote it. Come to our foot washing ceremony. I guarantee you there's not a foot that would show up that needed to be washed. We would make sure that they're all nice and clean and the, the nails nicely trimmed and the pedicures and all those kinds of things, right? I mean, it wouldn't happen. 
But what Jesus is talking about here is take the lower seat of service. Humble yourselves and do that which is basically the lowest place of service in any household. To wash those stinky, smelly feet. They've been walking those dirt roads where animals have been trotting and say no more. You get the picture. That's what he did. He took that lower seat, that lower position. And we're going to spend some time speaking about that as we talk about humility, serving the Lord with all humility as we close with those particular words in this passage. And Peter writing in 1 Peter 2.21 wrote this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. He's talking about suffering. To this you were called. Do you realize that you were called as a follower of Jesus Christ to a life of suffering? We don't like that. That's what the Bible says. To this you were called. I was called to a life of suffering because as I follow Jesus, the things that Jesus said are true. That, that, that if the world hated him, or if, if the world hates us, to realize that it hated him first. And to the degree that we follow Jesus, the world is going to stand against us. And so in order to make life easier for ourselves, we don't speak about Jesus as much as we possibly could or even should. To avoid those kinds of things. Isn't that true? We're called to that life. We don't belong in this world. We're citizens of heaven. And this world is against the one that we follow. That means that, that this world is going to be against, against us as well. We've got to just simply accept that, embrace it, and live for Jesus. And as Peter would write in chapter 4, you know, don't, don't marvel, no, no, actually, no, in, uh, uh, later in chapter 2, really. Uh, why, why are you surprised at, at, at the trials, the, the, the difficulties that you're facing? Why does that surprise you? We live in a life, we, we live in a world that is filled with, with, with pain, sickness, illness, death, evil and wickedness. You, you turn on the news. Or just simply live your life and look around. And just experience life the way it is in this world which is impacted by sin. It all is a manifestation of the devastation of sin in this world. Recently, we've, 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 we've had a, a few memorial services. We're going to have a, a, a few more this next month. This next Friday, of course, we're, we're going to be celebrating the life of, um, of, of Jesse. Um, I'm forgetting her last name right now. Spencer, Jesse Spencer. And then on the 22nd, my wife's. This is, this, is, this is life in this world. One of the reasons I love what, he, what Solomon writes in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, speaking about the seasons of life, you know, um, that to everything there's a, there's a season, right? And he begins a time to be born and a time to die. You know, 
We don't like to talk about that stuff, but that's just real life. Right? That's that's what happens. So this isn't this isn't something that that should surprise us. And 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 I, I shared with uh, Pastor Chuck Woolley the other day as I was having dinner with him a couple weeks ago. I, I, I you know we were just talking about all this. He lost he he lost his own wife. You know she's she's with the Lord now as of about four years ago. And um, I told him I said you know as hard as it is my wife leaving this world and, and going into the presence of the Lord, but me and my family, us, we as a church, us being without her, it, it, it all feels very natural because it is. Not that that's the way God intended it. He created the world to be different, but when sin entered the world, it became something that's natural. Right? We need to look at life that way. But yeah, we, we are called, as we see in First Peter chapter 2, uh, to a life of suffering. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then it speaks about some of those things in the following verses. But guys, there is no doubt that according to the way that this is written and other things that I'm going to share with you even now, that our lives... When we live a good, godly, Christian life of following Jesus and serving him, and we really are striving through the guidance of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit within us to live a life as Jesus lived his, because he is that example, a life of suffering and a life of service, as we see in those two examples we gave mom a moment ago, that living that life gives a very powerful credibility to the truth that we're speaking. We see in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writing to the Thessalonian church in chapter 1, verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. See, that's the power. The power of the Holy Spirit bringing the word, and the power of the Holy Spirit living through men submitted to him, adding power to the truth that is being spoken that it will have an impact in the lives of people around us when we live that way. A little bit later in this particular letter, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, there's a more extended passage that I want to read to you, verses 4 through 12 actually. But it gives a very uh, powerful demonstration of Paul's pastoral heart and the power of a pure life among those whom this life is lived. In verse 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, which does take place, we know there are people who preach the gospel simply as a cloak to get rich. 
Not Paul. He didn't do that. It was going on at that time too, by the way. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have been made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. You catch that? We didn't just give you the gospel. We gave you ourselves. We gave you our own lives. In a life of service to you. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What a powerful passage that is. Paul speaks of the heart of a father as well as the heart of a mother toward these who were birthed into the kingdom of God through his ministry. And he was very, very careful to live his life for Jesus. As he says, uh, blamelessly, devoutly, justly, and blamelessly behaving themselves among them who believe. And again, living a set-apart life gives credibility to the gospel message. But let's be careful that we don't think that this is just simply for leaders only, such as Paul, Timothy, or Jesus, pastors, for everybody. This is important for each and every one of us. We do hear too often many church leaders who fail morally and the credibility of their ministry at that point is weakened. In that moral failure, hearts are broken. Even as in that moral failure, the work that they do and the message that they preach becomes undermined. Now, my heart was broken a few years ago when it was discovered the way that Ravi Zacharias lived his life. It broke my heart. I, honestly, it was like I took a gut punch. I loved his ministry. I mean, I, I listened to him often. Don't anymore. I, I haven't listened to one of his teachings since that news broke because it undermined the credibility of his words. Did you guys experience the same thing? So, so we see, we, we, we can see the truth of that. And the same is, is true for you and for me. I, as your pastor, 
the life that I live has an impact on more people than the lives that, that, that you would impact in your own life, not being a pastor, but you've got plenty of people around you that you do impact, your family members, people that you work with, the, the people in the marketplace, your neighbors, and so forth, right? It's true for all of us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Church, please, please, please be careful to be a witness to the word of God. Not only in speaking it accurately, but also in living it faithfully. That gives strength and power to your words as you speak scripture into the lives of people who need to hear it. Powerful, powerful. You see Paul also writing, as he opens up with that passage there at the end of verse 18, you, you, you know what manner I always lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility. We're going to talk about serving the Lord, and then we're going to be talking about humility. And Paul characterizes his ministry in Ephesus as serving the Lord. Of course, the word ministry means service. But you know how I lived, and you know how I lived serving the Lord. As he lived righteously and lived a holy life, and, and all that's a part of what we've been talking about already, he was serving the Lord with all humility. On several occasions, we see the Apostle Paul referring to himself as a bondservant of Jesus, such as in Galatians 1.10, when he wrote this, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I have found, as have you, however, though, even as Paul writes these words, and he knew this to be true as well, when we dedicate our lives to serving God, we do indeed wind up serving many, many people. But the emphasis is not on serving the people, it's on serving God first. And it goes back to those top two commandments. The first two commandments, as Jesus was asked the question you know, by, by this uh, a Jewish lawyer, scribe, which are the greatest commandments, or which is the greatest commandment of them, of them all? And, and Jesus told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, loving yourself is not a third commandment. The second, love your neighbor as you already are loving yourself, because that is the nature of every one of us as human beings who, are, who come into this world with a sin nature, right? We have that straight, right? 
We, we, we talk about this once in a while. It's something that, that we need to, to be reminded of, the reality that, you know, I already love myself. I need to love others. I need to love you. I need to lo love others the way that I naturally love myself. That's what that's talking about. And that is a life of humility, by the way. Again, we'll be talking about that in just a few moments. But Paul was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, gives a, 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 an example of that. And he speaks of it in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. And these are all basic passages that have to do with serving God and with uh, the, 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 the humble lifestyle of a servant. And Jesus, of course, was that. He speaks to his disciples. He said, you know, in verse 25 of Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, they, they, they let you know who's boss. They let you know who's in charge. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Let, let me read that a little bit differently. I, I see Jesus doing it more like this. You know, you, you, you know how it is in the world. Leaders lording it over, exercising their authority. Yet it shall not be so among you. Not with you. We don't go there. We don't go there. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man. Now he's giving himself as an example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, this is how Jesus has served you and me. He came as a servant. We've talked about this before, but it, it just simply, it, it's just a mind-blowing thing to consider that the God who created me came to, as a servant of mine. He came to serve me. Now, he is coming back with a different mindset as conqueror, as king. He came first as servant. He came first in humility. He came first not to be served, but to serve. Now, we live our lives to serve him now, and we're able to because he first came to serve us by giving us what we needed in order to experience eternal life in order that our sins would be forgiven. You know, when our family first got the diagnosis of, uh, of Jeanette at the time back in December of 2020, it was given as uh, dementia slash Alzheimer's and it was proven that that wasn't the case, that this uh, um, neurological disease that she got was more debilitating in the sense of it just moved forward much more quickly than Alzheimer's does. And in a matter of about three years, it ended her physical life here in this world. 
But when she first received that news, it was devastating. All you who have been in that same situation know someone who has been. It, it's a, it is a difficult thing to hear. But, you know, Tracy told me, our, our oldest daughter, she told, told me that her mama said to her, you know, if God will use this to bring my grandchildren to Jesus, bring it on. Bring it on. That was her heart. She desperately wanted to finish well. But she was willing to live a life of pain in order for those that she loved to come to Jesus. Are you guys in that same camp? Do you guys believe the same thing? I pray so. I pray so. You see, this life cannot be about us. Although in this world, that's what the world hammers into us, that this life is about you. That wasn't the case with my brother. And her love for God and her love for, for people around her, her family, that's what she stated. And this attitude really should be in every one of us. And I pray that it, that it is. But to live our lives in such a way that we are submitted to and we accept whatever it is that God brings our way. And we can, we can begin to cry out, that's not fair. What did I ever do to deserve this? God, after all the years I've given to you in service, now this? May I ask, what's that got to do with it? It really doesn't have anything to do with it at all. Because our, our lives are to be a life of service to God. He's God, not me, not you, none of us. He's God. And he in his wisdom gives to us a, a path of life that, and also not only in his wisdom, but in his love and in his compassion and his grace and in his mercy, he gives to us a life to live that is going to bring honor and glory to him first and blessing to other people around us as they watch us live that life. And I'm looking forward to how the Lord is going to use this in our family's lives. And I think it already has impacted this church. Already. And will we continue to do so? I encourage you guys, think of these things. Think of your life of service to God. Think of your life of humility. Think of a life in which you are willing to do whatever it is that God gives you to do without complaint. I mean, we can begin complaining, but it does no good. But Paul writes to the Philippians, do all things without complaining, right? But... My God is smarter than I am. How can I direct him? He's much more wise than I am. He knows what to do. He, he, he's filled with love and compassion and grace and mercy. He gives to, that to me to, to an extent, but not like him. He, he knows and he's able, he, and he's got our best interest in mind and the best interest of those around us. And, and we can begin to argue, no, that's, I, I, this is going to work, Lord. This is going to work. Well, how many times have we tried it and it hasn't? 
just submitting our lives to him with whatever it is that he gives to us. Are you willing to give your life to those around you that they will come to Jesus? Paul was. My bride was as she lived her life here. Let's follow their examples. Let's die to ourselves, die to our fleshly um, desires, die to, the, to our own agenda in life, and allow God to bring us his, and then watch how he uses us. One of the things that I, I wished that my bride would see is those that she has prayed for and lived before the Lord for in such a way that they would come to Christ. She was not able to see that take place. A few of them, many, yes, many, most, yes, but there were a few holdouts. She's not going to be able to see them come to Christ, but I am convinced that they will. I just don't know when. I'm convinced we'll see them in heaven. And serving the Lord with all humility. We're going to end on, on this particular note. And, and I have to share with you guys that this topic of humility is, I believe, the most important thing any of us as believers will ever understand and apply to our lives. Living a life of humility. This Greek word is a, a word that, it's a compound word that literally means to think or judge with lowliness. And so to have a lowliness of mind. That's humility, a lowliness of mind. Not being high-minded, but being low-minded. It's a deep sense of one's own smallness or littleness, or our moral smallness or littleness. Modesty. Again, lowliness of mind. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, but with all lowliness. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. All of us have a natural pride within us that we want to achieve things on our own, but as Paul writes here, it's like our, our sufficiency for these things is not of us, it's only of God. God is the one that makes us able. Not our own strength, and not our own abilities, not our own intelligence, not our, not our own gifts and talents. And whatever gifts and talents and intelligence we may have, it came from God in the first place. It's all about Him. All about Him. But we naturally spend so much time wanting to, as we used to say, toot our own horns. Or in today's world of sports, doing the, look at me. Look what I can do. Wasn't that great? I'm awesome. Right? 
Now, as much as we may enjoy watching that, as much as we may wish that we could have done the same thing, it runs counter to God's heart and his heart for us to see how small and little we really are as compared to him. So we might be thinking, well, that, that means that I can compare myself to other people and do that? Well, well no. No. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We call that Popeye theology. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. You guys remember that? Maybe some of your younger people may not know who Popeye is. I don't know. But by the grace of God. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. But I'll just say right now, so much for self-esteem. I am to esteem you, others, as better than myself. Which is, a, which is pretty hard because I have a tendency in my flesh to think I'm pretty great. You know what I mean? I mean, we, 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 we do that. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Chuck Swindoll speaks of Jesus giving himself or giving, giving us a self-description. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Familiar words. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, this is his self-description, self I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Swindoll points out that this is the only place recorded in the gospel that Jesus actually gives a description of himself. Gentle and lowly. These are servant terms. Gentle means strength under control. Lowly in heart means humble. The word picture of a helper. And he writes this, frankly I find it extremely significant that when Jesus lifts the veil of silence and once for all gives us a glimpse of himself, the real stuff of his inner person, he uses gentle 
and humble. When we remember that God wants us to conform to his son's image, we realize he wants us to have qualities like Jesus had. We must let gentleness and humility emerge. We are never more like Christ than when we fit into his description of himself. Gentle and lowly. John Wesley observed that neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word for humility. They thought that that kind of meekness was, was, was to be avoided. Much like we see in our world and what I described in our sports world. You know, I mean, you know the statement, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. That seems to be the byline. Now, there are those who manage to pull it off well. But obviously, there are many who don't. We cannot even begin to please our Lord without humility, just as the Lord himself could not have pleased his Father had he not willingly, as we see in Philippians 2, 7, and 8, made himself of no reputation, not caring what others think of him, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, speaking how he himself stooped incredibly low to become a human being. There's something that we have to somehow see. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And you know, every one of us who are a follower of Jesus, we, we need to seek humility. But guys, we can never claim to attain it. Jesus is the only one who could. As the perfect, obedient son. And he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The best we can do is we're seeking to be gentle and lowly in heart. I, I'm seeking to put myself aside and make others more important to this. Our dear brother Dave Elpisti, who's with the Lord, uh, has been for a few years now, he, he, he said to me on a few occasions, he said, Pastor, we voted that we should get you a humility badge. But then we were afraid you might wear it. I thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. And that was his way of encouraging me toward humility. You know, and I appreciated that a lot. But I thought that was a funny thing. And it's right. See how humble I am? Look at my badge. <laughs> Boom, it's gone. You know, so, so it's, it's, it's one of those things. But yet we need to seek it. Uh, we, we need to move away from pride and towards humility, selflessness, um, Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One writer noted this, humility is an ingredient of all spiritual blessing. Just as every sin has its root in pride, every virtue has its root in humility. Humility allows us to see ourselves as we are because it shows us before God as he is. Just as pride is behind every conflict we have with other people and every problem of fellowship we have with the Lord, 
So humility is behind every harmonious human relationship, every spiritual success, and every moment of joyous fellowship with the Lord. The absence of humility means the presence of pride, hence all kinds of problems arise. It's a problem that we have among each other when we have difficulties with each other because this self-centered sinfulness that we are born with is so natural for us and yet something that Jesus died for to remove. Bernard of Clairvaux said this, the virtue by which, that, that humility is the virtue by which a man becomes conscious of his own unworthiness, which begins by looking at our own hearts. We see the sinfulness in us when we do so. Humility also involves an awareness of the perfect holiness and righteousness of Jesus. In Isaiah 6, 5, when Isaiah saw the exalted Christ in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Woe is me, he said, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Peter, when he saw Jesus command the fish to climb into that net in Luke 5, 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, we, be, we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are and how small we are, relatively speaking. William Temple wrote, Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. Humility means you're more important, and so I'm going to serve you. I don't think of my own needs, because if the church is functioning the way it should, if a marriage is functioning the way it should, we're all focused on ministering to other people, and a marriage ministering to your own spouse, taking our role, whatever it is, a husband loving his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, a, a wife submitted to the headship of her husband like the church is submitted to the headship of Christ, but all in a sense of service and love to each other. And if that is happening, then, well, what about me? What, if I'm constantly giving myself to others, what about me? Well, God's loving me. Others around me are loving me. I shared just probably a couple, couple months before my bride went home to be with Jesus, I shared with Jamie, I said, you know, I miss being loved by her. I did and I do. I miss being loved with my, by my bride because she was, she was good at that. She was good at, at, at loving others. If you felt that, if you saw that, imagine me as her husband. What a gift she has been to us all. Amen. Amen to that. 
Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Australia, in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced this missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told a large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor then stood quietly for a moment, then opened his message by saying, this just touches my heart, opened his message by saying, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's humility. That's humility. I want to revisit Philippians chapter 2 just for a moment. And read verses 3 through 8. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This, this verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, turns this passage upside down in the sense of upside down in, 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 in the way we would normally look at things. Jesus Christ had this mind in himself. Verse 3, he, he had this lowliness of mind. He esteemed others as being better than himself. He valued you and me as being better than himself. And that does not make sense. We know that we're not better than him. We know that we're not imp more important than him, yet that's how he, in his love for us, and in his own humility, sees us. We need to emulate that. You are better than me, you are more important than me, so here I am to serve you. With every other person. Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, meaning he didn't care what other people thought of him. Well, what are people going to think? Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. None of us will ever know what kind of moral strength it took for Jesus who, who, who created the world, who created the universe. He could have called dozens of angels to his rescue. He could have spoken a word and every person who was a part of crucifying would have stopped, but he humbly accepted it. We'll never know what that is like. We'll never know. Incredible moral strength. And this portrayal of Jesus' humility is the key. Key for our lives. And I want to say that it flies in the face of our culture's push to build self-esteem in our children. Our children already love themselves. It's natural to do so. 
That's why I never had to tell, teach my kids to say, mine. Or when I told them to do something, gave them a command, no. That comes from self-love, a desire to please self. The only true sense of worth any person can ever find is in Jesus Christ, amen? It's only in him. When I discovered who he is, what he has done for me, the way that he has demonstrated his love for me, and that I know that he loves me, that gives me worth. That gives me worth. And the self-worth in our children begins at home as they discover that they have a mom and dad at home who love them, who will do anything for them, who will give their lives for them. Not in order to give them what they want, but to raise them the way that they need to be raised. And I want to say this for you dads, the best way that you can show love to your children is by loving their moms. They'll know security, they'll know safety, and they will have a sense of being loved in the context of that relationship that they see the mom and dad having. Sense of worth begins there as they know that mom and dad love them. Our children don't need to be told how wonderful they are. They need to be loved by mom and dad. That's what they need. Our culture doesn't know that. They don't understand that. They fight against it. And we need to hear what the Bible has to say. This is truth from God. Our culture is a culture that throws away our kids. Beginning in the womb. And elsewhere. Every father who has ever left his children and said, this isn't against you, this is between me and your mom. That child understands, dad left me. Or if it's mom, they understand, mom left me. And if any of you have ever done that, God will forgive you. But know the truth, know the truth. This is the way it is. My children need to know that I love them. Your children need to know that you love them. Our grandchildren need to know that they are loved by us. That gives them a sense of worth, but especially knowing that Jesus loves them. In his own loneliness of mind, Jesus sees us as better, sees us as more important than himself. And in that mindset, he lowered himself to become like us so that he could live a perfectly sinless life so that he could take our sin upon himself And as the Lamb of God, he gave himself to be crucified so that our sins would be removed. That's a picture of humility. And guys, right now what we're going to do as we dwell on that thought, what Jesus did for us, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to come before the Lord and thank him for what he's done for us. And so, um, have you guys received the, the, 